Well, it's good to be here. I enjoyed on last night, and uh, I appreciate very much the invitation to be here. Uh, pastor is, your pastor is preaching this morning uh, up at the church where I pre- preached on Friday night, so I think they brought him up there to clean up the mess. So, and I'll try to leave him a mess here. Uh, If you brought your Bibles, in just a few moments, I'm going to be reading one passage of Scripture from the book of Exodus and then one from Leviticus. Uh, I want to speak this morning on holiness, uh, particularly the holiness of God. I think I shared with you, I I love communication. I'm a student of communication. I like to know what makes it work, why it works, when it fails, why did it fail, Um, Communication is just, it's so much a part of our, our life, and, uh, and I, I just am a constant student of it. I heard about a married couple uh, that were married on the same day uh, at the, that they were born on. They shared a birthday. Very rare. I wonder if we have any married couples here that, who share a birthday. I've only had it, seen it one time in my life. They were not only born on the same day, they got married on their 23rd birthday. So on their 40th wedding anniversary, which would have been their 63rd birthday, they went for a second honeymoon to the South Pacific. They're walking on the beach and a bottle washed up in the surf. The wife plucked the bottle from the waves and pulled out the cork and out came a huge genie. The genie said, it's your 63rd birthday, it's your 40th wedding anniversary, I'll grant you each one free wish. The wife never hesitated. She said, I know what I want. He said, your wish is my command. She said, I want a diamond ring bigger than Elizabeth Taylor's. And poof, on her finger was a diamond bigger than the Star of India, gleaming in the South Pacific sun. The husband, now inspired, said, I want my wish. The genie said, your wish is my command. He said, I want a wife who's 30 years younger than I am. And poof, just like that, he was 93. I don't know why women, women like that joke so much. <laughs> but you, you can think that you're communicating clearly, but the message that you transmit may not be at all the one that's received. And the response that it elicits may not be at all what you'd hoped for. So God has to communicate with us over and over and over again. And so often in his word, we, we, we take something out of context, we see it wrongly, and if there is one word in all of the Bible that speaks to the character and nature of God, it's holy. And yet, it is also a word that sometimes puts uh, believers back. It, it, feels, um, it feels intimidating and, and nerve-wracking, and, and they're... Instead of making them draw near to the holiness of God, sometimes they're afraid of the holiness of God. And I want to read two passages of Scripture. If you have Exodus chapter 3, we'll read verses 13 and 14, and then Leviticus chapter 19, 1 and 2. Exodus 3, 13 and 14. God is communicating with Moses in this passage through the burning bush. You remember this. He appears to Moses on the mountainside in the, in the personification of a burning bush. And he and Moses are having this lengthy communication. And Moses says, in, in, in a burst of uh, 
peculiar wisdom. He says, when I go down to the children of Israel and say unto them that God of your fathers hath sent me unto thee, they will say, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto thee. In other words, Moses says they have lived 430 years in bondage to the Egyptians. It's not just physical or cultural bondage, it's spiritual bondage as well. And now when I say the God of your fathers, they're going to say, which God? The gods of the Egyptians, Ra, the God of the sun, Isis, that blasphemous goddess of the Nile and fertility. Which, which God? And Moses says, what is his name? I can't tell them a burning bush sent me. Who are you? And that's when God says, I am that I am. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am that sent me unto thee. Now then, in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, it shifts. And God said unto Moses, When thou shalt come unto the children of the congregation of Israel, you shall say unto them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. The first passage is about the holiness of God. The second passage is about holiness in the life of the believer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray in the next few moments that your spirit will give us enlightenment, illumine our hearts, open us, Lord, that we may receive all that you have for us. That when we leave here today, we will say, the Lord has spoken unto us. In Jesus' mighty name, the strong Son of God. Amen. Amen. I was... Uh, I was speaking once to a, a ladies' retreat, several hundred women uh, from the United States, and I, I just said, uh, I wonder if any of you, there's a camp meeting near where they were, and I said, I wonder if any of you have ever been to that camp meeting. The lady, one lady kind of raised her hand like this. She was afraid I would call on her, you know, so I did, and I said, ma'am, do you remember what the sign says as you drive into that camp meeting? It's a famous camp meeting. I said, do you remember what the sign says as you drive in? She said, yes, I remember. I said, well, tell these ladies what the sign is. She said, okay, it says, holiness unto the Lord. There, I said it. And I thought to myself, in some circles of Christians, holiness is on harder times than sin is. We, we, have, we must recapture in the body of Christ what the holiness of God is all about. What, what is the holiness of God? The holiness of God is the perfection of his nature. The perfection of his nature. There is nothing missing in God that if we added it would make him a better God than he is. And there is nothing in God that if we took it away would make him a purer God than he is. He is altogether God. He's perfect God. There's nothing extraneous in him, and there is nothing missing in him. So let's just suppose that up here I had a whiteboard, and I drew a circle, a perfect circle. In, in geometry, you remember your high school geometry? That's a circle that's defined as equidistant from the center at every point on the perimeter. So I draw the perfect circle, and then I take a racer, and I just make a gap in the circle. Now it's unholy. It's, it's not perfect. There's something missing. Now I take the chalk, 
and I fill in the gap, but not on the prescribed perimeter. Now I just do it like this. It's complete, but it's not perfect. I was driving through a small town in uh, U.S., and I saw a sign that said, it was a hand-painted sign, had an arrow pointing down a side street, and it indicated a certain church, and it said, Holy Ghost Revival, now in progress. But it's spelled holy, H-O-L-E-Y. And I realized the barrier to revival in the United States may actually be in our spelling. H-O-L-E-Y, that's not your God, that's your socks. H-O-L-E-Y means full of holes. It's the exact opposite of the character and nature of God. God's holiness is perfect. There are no holes in God. There's nothing extra in God. God is altogether, 100%, always who he is. That's the reason he says to Moses, I am that I am. When I was a very, very young man, I met an older Chinese lady. She was in her 90s. She's been in heaven now for decades. But uh, she told me that she was raised in mainland China before the revolution in a pagan household. And she said that if, uh, if a baby was born and it was a perfect baby and healthy and everything and a male child, which they wanted and all that, that the father would take the baby and tuck him under the bed. And draw the bedclothes down to the floor. And then the father would go out in the front yard and sound a bugle or bang cymbals or shoot off fireworks or something like that until he had the attention of the gods. And then he would revile them. He would curse them. Oh, I curse you. You've sent me this wretched baby. This baby will never be a blessing. Oh, this pathetic excuse for a baby. I curse you. And neighbors would come over and they'd pull the cloth back and show the baby and the the neighbors would whisper, beautiful, beautiful, congratulations. Then they'd cover the baby up and they'd say, woe to this house, woe to this house. This poor baby will never be a blessing to anybody. I said to her, why, why did they do that? She said, because they saw the gods as great, huge, powerful human beings. You take the human mind, body, and strength and multiply it 10 million X. You have a formidable force to deal with. But if you multiply the human mind 10 million X, you also multiply the human sins 10 million X. So they just saw the gods as great, huge, capricious, whimsical, evil giants. So if they saw the baby was a blessing to you, they would get filled with envy and hurt the baby. So they had to fool the gods into thinking that the baby was no good for them. Aren't you glad our God isn't like that? That he doesn't, he doesn't envy the blessings in our lives. He gives the blessings in our lives. And we don't have to fool God into thinking that we're miserable or lonely or fearful or afraid because if he sees that, he'll hurt us. How wonderful to know that God is is who he is. He is holy all the time. But that brings a question. If God is altogether himself, what is he like? I mean, theoretically, you see, if God is altogether the same thing, he could be altogether evil. He could be entirely evil. But but we need to know if God is always himself, what is he like? One John tells us, God is love. God is love. 
God is love, is I am, is holy. The holiness of God is the character and nature of God, which is unfailing love. Therefore, the holiness of God is not the thing that makes us afraid to approach him. It's the thing that makes us know when we approach him, we find love. Let's just suppose that there's somebody came in here today and they know nothing about the gospel. They know nothing about forgiveness. And so they just, uh, they just come to uh, Philip and me and they say, well, look, I, I'd like to get uh, saved. I want to be a Christian. I've lived a sinful life. And we say, oh, who knows? Okay, sit down in the front row. We'll go up onto the Holy of Holies and we'll send up a few trial petitions and we'll ask God uh, some simple things, easy things. And if it looks like he's of a mind to answer prayer, I'll clap my hands like that. Come on up and we'll ask him to forgive you. Who knows? Maybe he will. Or I'll send some few petitions up and it looks like God has a grouch on, then I'll stomp three times like that. Run home and get under your bed because God's going to kill you. Do you see why you don't do evangelism that way? It is because every promise of God in the scripture is backed up by God's holiness, which is his love. 1 John 1, 9, if any man will confess his sins, God is faithful and just to forgive him and cleanse him of all unrighteousness. So I could say that to Queen Elizabeth or to President Trump or to a person in the prison on death row and the promise is always the same because God is always the same. So you see what it means? Here's a, here's a terrible concept of God, but suppose God wakes up one morning and his blood pressure is too high and his blood sugar is too low and he wakes up, he's got a throbbing headache and he's feels miserable, and he looks over the edge of heaven, and the first person he sees is you. That's a pretty scary idea, isn't it? And he looks down and he says, oh, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Making an Irishman with blue eyes? I should have my divine head examined. All over the whole country of Ireland, all the men with blue eyes, zap, smallpox. We say, God isn't going to do that, is he? No, he's not going to do that. But why isn't he going to do that? He isn't going to do that because God's love for you. What's your name, mate? Eddie. Eddie. God's love for you, Eddie, is not depending on any variable about you. It doesn't have anything to do with how you've lived, what you've done, how you think, how you look. God's love for you is not dependent on any variable in your life. It is dependent on the unchanging nature of God's holiness. So that, you see, that means Eddie doesn't have to do anything to make God love him more. You can't do anything to make God love him more. There's, nothing, there's no performance, there's no amount of prayer or fasting or church going or any of the. There's nothing, no barrels to leap through, no nothing that you can do to make God love you anymore. Now, here's the other part of it. There's nothing that Eddie can do to make God love him any less. You cannot change the character and nature of God. God loves you purely out of his holiness. Therefore, his holiness is not the thing that makes us pull back from God in terrifying fear. The holiness of God is what makes us draw near to God 
and know that we will find a loving God. Come, therefore, the book of Hebrews says what? Come, therefore, boldly before the throne of God. You cannot come boldly before a God of whom you are uncertain. You have to know what you're going to find. What if you went to your, to your dad? Remember when you were a kid? Went to your dad and knock on his office door. Dad. And he, you didn't know what was going to be on the inside. Go away. I'm busy. I'm working. Or he opens the door and busts your head. Or he yells at you. Or he says, okay, you disturbed me. No supper for you tonight. You see, every time you go to the door, you think, oh, no. Uh, uh, not sure. Many people pray exactly like that. They, cut, they just start to pray and then they say, oh, no, I'm not sure. I just want to say to you, you can come therefore boldly before the throne of grace where you can find grace and hope and help because of the holiness of God. God is a holy God. He's not a Chinese dragon lurking behind the clouds waiting to see whether you get happy and he'll mess you up. God wants to bless you because he's holy. Now, that brings us to the second verse. And the second verse is the hard part, isn't it? You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Am I? Is it just me? Or does that feel a little unfair? I want to say to God, you tell me I should be holy because you should be holy, but you're God. I live in the United States. I, I, I'm facing a lot of stuff here. I'm human. It seems a little unfair for God Almighty, who is holy by nature, to tell me I have to be holy because he's holy. Doesn't that seem a little unfair? What if, what if a famous athlete... Uh, came to you and said, I can do high hurdles in the Olympics and I want you to do high hurdle in the Olympics because I can. That seems a little unfair, doesn't it? He's a famous athlete, right? All right, I used to be the president of a university. So suppose it's your first day in a high-level mathematics class, some real complicated mathematics class, and the professor walks in and he looks at you and he says... You shall make an A in this course because I'm the teacher. You shall make an A. I don't know about you. I'll tell you what I do. I just gather up my books and leave the class. I go to the drop ad counter and say to the nice lady there, I'd like to change classes, please. I'd like something like Irish basket weaving. <laughs> and I want a professor who's not criminally insane. But... Imagine you go to the same class, the same teacher, and he says exactly the same thing, but he says it this way. I know you're nervous. It's your first time at this level of mathematics, but you shall make an A. You shall make an A because I am the greatest math teacher in the whole world, and you are going to make an A. That's when I say, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to major in math. Do you see, if you put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, any word sounds funny. So if God says, you shall make an A, or he says, you're going to make an A. So a student asked me one time, when God says, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy, is it a command or is it a promise? 
Yes, it is. It is a command. We are commanded to a life of holiness, but we are not commanded to a life of holiness under our own power. He says, you you shall be holy because what I'm going to work in you is my own character and nature. I will change you. I will make you holy. You shall be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. In other words, what God does in us is Him. What he does in us is his nature. So the, the summons to holiness is not just, God, not just God beating us with a cane. Be holy, be holy, be holy. It is the proffered grace of God. You shall be holy. You shall be holy. If we try to make ourselves holy, we try to squeeze it in from the outside. That's what the Pharisees did. Obey the law. Do all this. We try to make holiness work from the outside. From the outside in. I heard about a man who was uh, really down on his luck. Broke out of work. Been on the dole forever. Couldn't get a job. And he passed a circus manager's office. And the sign said, help wanted. So he just went in and he said, I I I need a job. The circus manager said, you're hired. I'm going to make you a big star in the circus. And I'm going to pay you more than you've ever been paid in your life. The man was nervous now. He said, wait a minute. What is the job? He said, all right, here's the thing. The most popular act in the circus was the gorilla. And the gorilla died, and we don't have enough money to bring another gorilla from Africa, so we've skinned him out. And we have the gorilla suit here, and we just want you to put on the gorilla suit and do the gorilla act in the circus. I'll pay you, and the people will love it. Well, he didn't want to be a gorilla on the other hand, he was tired of being on the dole, so he decided he'd take the job. Here's the way the act was. There was a rope that was suspended over the lion's cage. And he would swing on that rope over the lion's cage. It was carefully measured, so no matter how high the lion would leap, he couldn't quite reach him. And the lion would leap up and roar, and, and the man on the, in the gorilla suit would swing across, and the people would cheer and throw bananas Oh, the man loved it. He'd never been cheered for in his life. The people would applaud. Oh, they loved the gorilla. Every night he just loved swinging over that lion. And the lion would leap and roar. One night he decided, I'm going to take the, the act up to a new level. He rolled up a newspaper. And when he swung out over the lion's cage, when the lion leaped up, he was going to just hit the lion in the face. And he just knew the people would love that. He swung out over the lion's cage. The lion leaped up. He swung with the newspaper, but he quite forgot himself, and he let go the other hand. He shot down into the lion's cage, and the lion jumped up on him, one paw on each foot, roaring in his face. And the guy in the gorilla suit began to scream, Help! He said, Help! Get me out of here! Please, somebody help me! And the lion whispered and said, Shut up, you fool. You're going to get us both sacked. You see, when we try to squeeze holiness in from the outside, all we do is turn church into monkey suit religion. Everybody trying to fool everybody about what we see on the outside when the real change has to happen on the inside. How does that change happen? What is the, what's the thing that God does in that? Well, of course, 
There's salvation through the blood of Jesus has to happen. There's forgiveness, healing has to happen, the inner work of Christ within us, all of those things. But there is one other thing. If God is going to impart by His Spirit, God is a spirit, He's going to impart His nature from spirit into flesh. How is it going to come? It's going to come by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit that comes within us, look, I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in healing and tongues and prophecy and all. I believe in all of them. But if you seek the Holy Spirit to fill you just to get the gifts of the Spirit, that's like putting electricity in your house because you think the switch plates are pretty. The real work of the Holy Spirit is is to bring holiness. The Holy Spirit brings the character and nature of God. John Wesley, who preached here in Ireland, by the way, John Wesley said the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a baptism of the character and nature of God. That's the reason he called it the baptism of love. If God is holy, is love, is I am, when he shares his spirit within us, what he brings is a baptism of love. If the baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't make you holier and it doesn't make you more loving, you need to check what kind of spirit you got. A mean pagan is a bad thing. A mean heathen, a mean mean sinner. But it's expected, right? I mean, sinners sin. That's what they get paid for, right? But a mean Christian is a pox in the earth because that is not what God wants of us. He doesn't want meanness. We can... He says, you'll be able to tell the, the tree by its fruit. What is the fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, tolerance, self-control. These are the things that are the fruit. Why? Because those are the things that are like God. They're like God. We cannot make ourselves like these. We can't start every morning and say, okay, today I'm going to be more loving. Today I'll be more loving. I'll be more loving if it kills me. And then somebody just bangs your car in traffic and all of that's gone. You jump out of the car, I'm going to sue you. I'll get an attorney. You're going down. And love is gone. Patience. Your three-year-old. How many of you have ever raised a three-year-old? Your three-year-old asks you the same question. Mommy, why can you do this? Why can you do this? Why can you do this? (laughs) There is nothing in the world that will test your patience like a three-year-old. And, and you can't just start, I'm going to learn this, this day, this day, this way. Then by the time you get to the end of the list, you have to go back and start over with the first thing on the list. But God says, I will do it. I will do it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, therefore, is the means by which God begins the inner work within us. Now, it doesn't all happen at once. So when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes, yes, a change happens. But not all the change that's going to happen. So a lady came to my office when I was pastoring in Orlando, Florida. And she said, I know you think my husband's a Christian. But she said, I'm going to tell you something you don't know about my husband. I just want you to know this. I said, all right, what is it? She said, he's a chain smoker. He smokes all the time. He said, you never see him smoke because he didn't smoke at church. So you think he's a spirit-filled Christian, but he's a chain smoker. I said, ma'am, 
your husband always smells like cigarettes. You think I don't know it? <laughs> I said, he smells like he just walked out of a chimney. I know he smokes. And she said, well, doesn't that mean he's not a Christian? I said, well, let me just uh, tell you something. Sanctification, the healing power of God's cleansing love, is like painting a fence. Every, every part of that fence has to be, every plank has to be painted, inside and outside. It doesn't matter what order you paint them in, they all have to be painted. All the planks outside, all the planks inside have to be painted. And I said, you don't know which plank God is working on in your husband's life. She said, really? I said, guess who was in my office yesterday morning? She said, who? I said, your husband was here. She said, he was? I said, yes. Guess what he told me? He brought a praise report. He said, God is helping me to love and forgive my mother-in-law. I said, what do you think of that? She said, you know, come to think of it, Henry has been nicer to my mother lately. And I said, all right, I want to ask you a question. If plank number five is loving and forgiving your mother and plank number eight is overcoming cigarettes, which one do you think God ought to work on first? She said, well, I can't make that decision. I said, no, you can't. That's exactly right. You can't make that decision. You don't know what plank God is working on in somebody else's life. God is painting the fence, but you don't know where he is in the process. Let me tell you something else. You don't even know where he is in your process. <laughs> you don't even know what God's doing in you. God is, God is dealing with everything in our lives. The power of the Holy Spirit comes into our life. Then the power of the Holy Spirit. So is the Holy Spirit instantaneous or is it progressive? Yes, it is instantaneous and progressive. And it is internal. It's not about following the rules. Rules are important. You have to have rules. Don't hit each other. You, know, no, you have to tell the children in school, don't, don't bite your neighbor. You know, all that kind of thing. But the rules won't cleanse you. The rules won't change you. That, you understand what I'm saying? My wife and I were uh, married eight years. We got married very, very young. We've been married 52 years now. But uh, we got married when we were just teenagers. She was 17 and I was 19. So we waited eight years to have our first baby. And in that eight years, a lot of our friends had children. So children, childless people are fascinated with the children of others. And there was a couple that lived next door to us, and they had the cutest little girl. She was about seven. Just looked like Shirley Temple. I mean, the sweetest little thing you've ever seen. And we just loved this little child. We were all four. The four adults were sitting on the back porch having some barbecue one night. And the little girl came running up with a flower, and it looked like she'd been chewing on it. It was just mangled. And she ran up to her daddy, and she said, Daddy... How come when God opens a flower, it looks so beautiful? And when I try to do it, it looks like this. And then, as only a child can do, she answered her own question. She said, oh, I know. God opens them from the inside. Out of the mouths of babes. Out of the mouths of babes. God opens them from the inside. The power of the Holy Spirit 
is the very character and nature of God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, yes, it is for power. Yes, for power in ministry, for anointing. Yes, but above all things, above that, holiness of heart and life. God wants to change us into his image. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. It is a command. We're commanded not to live in sin. We don't want to live in the bondage of sin. We don't want to go on in sin. But it's a promise. He's saying, I will do it. I will do it. You're not strong enough. You're not God. You can't make yourself holy. But I am God. And and I want my kids to look like me. I want my kids to look like me. We have one son. We have two daughters and one son. Our, our son is... Uh, when I look at him, I think he's the spitting image of his dad. He looks just like me, I think. He's strikingly handsome. <laughs> Hurts me when you laugh at me. <laughs> but uh, imagine if somebody came to me and said, I saw your son, and I think he looks like the mailman, like the postman. Think how I would be hurt. I would be angry. Imagine it, the insult of that. I saw your son. I think he looks like the next door neighbor. That'd be horrible. What if Satan, what if Satan stands before God Almighty, who is called the accuser of the brethren, and he stands before God Almighty and he says, I'm looking at your child's life, and she looks more like me than she does you. God forbid. God forbid. God wants to make us like him. All right, let me bring this to a conclusion. In the conversation between Moses and God, God says to Moses, put now thy hand into thy bosom. Put your hand in your shirt front. So Moses puts his hand in, and God says, pluck it out. And he pulls his hand out. Who can remember? It's what? Leprous. It's covered with leprosy. (laughs) Don't you know that was a wonderful moment for Moses? (laughs) Wow, great. Send me into Egypt where there's a price on my head for murder. Tell me to lead two and a half million stiff-necked rebels into the wilderness where there's no food and give me leprosy. What a wonderful morning. Then God says, what? Put your hand yet again into your bosom. And then he says, now pluck it out. And this time it's what? Clean, well, perfect, whole. It's whole. I don't pretend to know all that God was saying to Moses in that conversation or all that he's saying to us. But among what he's saying to us, surely he's saying this. What you do with your hands will sooner or later reflect the condition of your heart. You can't do it the other way. You can't change what you do with your hands consistently enough to alter the condition of your heart. But if God truly changes the condition of your heart, eventually it will work to the extremities of your life. So, when we pray, God, make me more loving. Make me kinder. Make me gentler. Make me more caring. Make me more sensitive. Help me to forgive. Help me to be a healing person and not a hurtful person. It's... it's, It's a prayer that is consistent with the very character and nature of God. Something is wrong when Christians snap at each other. When 
Christian, people, married people, I, something's wrong. When I, Allison and I go out to eat, we're in a restaurant somewhere, and I can hear husband and wife snapping at each other. Says, she, she's going to order something like that. He says, are you, why are you ordering that? that? That'll make you fat. And she says, yeah, well, maybe I am fat, but you're bald. And Allison and I just sit there. We say, what, what kind of a marriage is this? What kind of a marriage is this? I have a good friend. He said that his African-American maid was leaving their house one day to go catch the bus and go home. And he said that it was raining. So he said, oh, let me drive you home. He backed the car out of the garage, got her in the car, drove about eight or nine blocks, and the lady said, oh, she said, I forgot my purse. I forgot my purse. He said, no problem, no problem. He turned around, drove back. She said, I'll get it. He said, no, I know where it is. It's sitting on the dining room table. No use for you to get out in the rain. He got out of the car, ran inside, got the maid's purse, came back, drove the maid home. On the way home, he said God spoke to him and said, you treat your maid better than you treat your wife. If that had been your wife, oh, I left my purse inside. You left your purse in there? I can't believe it. He said, he said God spoke to him. And he said, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Change, change my heart. Change how I think, how I feel. Change the inside of me. That that would happen on the outside of me. You cannot make yourself nice enough to your friends in order to change your heart. But the Lord can change your heart to make you nice to your enemies. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's not a scary command. It's a wonderful promise. God says, I'm going to do a new thing in you. I'm going to change you. And I'm going to change you from the inside out. Amen? Let's pray together. If you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm not going to summon anybody to the front, but I'd like to pray with you right where you sit. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes. If you'd say, Dr. Elton, will you please pray with me? I need a heart change. There are some things that are really wrong in me, and I know they're wrong. And I don't seem to have the power to change them. Will you pray that God's Holy Spirit will come in me? If that's you, raise your hand. And I want to pray for you. So many, so many, so many. Heavenly Father, I do pray. Lord, come, Holy Spirit. Breathe, oh, breathe thy loving spirit into every troubled breast. Let us all in thee inherit. Let us find that second rest. Come, Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Let God fill you. Let His Holy Spirit, one of the wonderful things about the Spirit is Spirit can penetrate flesh. Spirit can penetrate flesh. Let Him go right inside of you, burning out all the anger and hurt and unforgiveness and resentment and bringing a baptism of love. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now take your hands down, but keep your eyes closed if you will. If you say, Dr. Oaten, will you please pray for me? I need to draw closer to God. Somehow, maybe the way I was taught as a child, a 
bad experience in church, something. Something makes me just unable to really come forward and find the tender, loving God. Will you pray that His holiness would draw me near, that I can be closer to God? If that's you, then you lift your hand up. Hard religious experiences as a child can turn us away from who God really is. So many hands. Heavenly Father, I pray that all that legalism and all that hurt and all that old religiosity would just melt away. And God, that they would know when they knock on your door that you're a loving, good, patient, kind Father who says, come in, draw near to me, climb up on my lap, put your head on my chest, let me hold you. God, I believe you for this. I believe you, God, for a loving, healing, caring relationship with a holy God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Well, these, uh, these kids are going to lead us in, a, in an old hymn. You know, uh, I love modern music. I love it. But just every now and again, I want to sing something that wasn't written in the last eight minutes. And here's an old hymn of the church. And sometimes it seems so cumbersome. But this morning, I want you to realize it and sing it in a whole new way. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning, our song will rise to thee. Let's stand and sing together. in three persons. Blessed Trinity. Amen. I uh, spent 20 years as a Methodist preacher and before I came into the Spirit-filled movement. And you know the one thing I miss in the Methodist church? I still miss it. It's the benediction. Would you let me pray a benediction over you this morning? And now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his own presence without fault and with unspeakable joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before time ever began, right now and throughout all the ages to come. And when the battle's over, we'll all wear a crown. God bless you, everybody, and God bless Ireland.